Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wounded Blue Hour with your host, Randy Sutton. I am a retired police lieutenant with 34 years experience, uh, retired from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. The founder of the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers, and also the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. If you want to get on the list for that book, go to rescuing911.org and leave your email. We'll let you know when the book comes out. This show is dedicated to the physical mental, emotional, psychological health and well-being of the American law enforcement community. And we have much, much to talk about. Before I bring in this week's guest, who you will love, trust me on this, I'm going to give you what I call my reality check. And the reality check here at this show by the way, we are heard on the America Out Loud Network, as well as iHeartRadio, uh, all uh, Sky, iTunes, Skitcher, and all those platforms. You can see it and hear it as well. Um, we talk about all things regarding the, the, uh, the safety of our law enforcement community. And there is a lot to talk about every single week. So, you know... Uh, I was hoping that this was going to be a week without the deaths of line of duty deaths of law enforcement officers, but that is just not to be. So, um, two Oklahoma police officers gave their lives in the line of duty this week. I was actually going to read this as an injured officer, but in the literally, I was just notified about his uh, succumbing to his injuries. This was, the, this was the article I was going to read to you. Oklahoma cop hit head-on during fellow officer's funeral procession, <clears throat> and then it had fighting for his life. He lost that fight. A McAllister police officer is fighting for his life after a driver crashed into him head-on while he was participating in a funeral procession for a fellow officer. The incident occurred as officers were escorting the body of fallen McAllister Police Officer Captain Richard Parker from Tulsa to Wetumucca on March 17th. Captain Parker died unexpectedly after serving the MPD for nearly 26 years. The procession was traveling on Highway 75 in Glenpool when a pickup truck crossed over the center median and slammed into 25-year-old MPD Officer Joseph Barlow's patrol car head-on. The driver of the pickup has been identified as Rivas Rodriguez. He was booked into Tulsa County Jail on multiple charges, including no driver's license, reckless driving, causing an accident. He was also an illegal alien. Officer Barlow, Barlow was rushed to Tulsa Hospital, but today he passed away. In addition, another, another Oklahoma police officer. Oklahoma County Sheriff's Deputy Jeremy McCain dies after being crushed by a gate. This is an, an Oklahoma City Sheriff's Office. Died in the line of duty on Monday, more than a week after he was crushed by a security gate at the school where he worked. 36-year-old school resource officer was driving 
off of the Oklahoma Christian School campus when his patrol car ran into a portion of partially open security gate. He was traveling less than 10 miles per hour at the time, but the gate pierced the patrol car's windshield and pinned the 11-year department veteran inside his patrol car, resulting in severe crushing injuries, including breaking his neck. Um, he arrived at the emergency room. They did their best, but he was unable to be saved. Two more officers who gave their lives in the line of duty. And you know what I think is significant about reading these two is that officers give their lives in the line of duty in a lot of different ways. You know, it's not always the dramatic gunfights that take place. It is incidents like this. Every single moment that a police officer is is out on duty that he's wearing that uniform he or she is literally um, having his or her life imperiled both from the physical attacks that are more and more commonplace and also the um, the deaths that occur from uh, accidents and this uh, these two, Officers who gave their lives in the line of duty are, are examples of that. But in just the last several days, right now, America's seeing a police officer shot almost every single day. So in the last couple of days, I yanked these headlines off of the, uh, off of the printer. Suspect killed, officer wounded in Springville shootout in Utah. One man was killed after opening fire on Springfield, Springville police officers who were checking on him after he was in a car crash. This is a chief said, or excuse me, lieutenant with Springville police said, it's not something we look to do. It's not what we wake up in the morning, put our uniforms on, come out to the streets and think this is what I want to do in life. That's not what we are, who we are. The police originally responded to the area of 1500 West 150 North, just at 5 a.m. after reports of shots being fired. Caller told dispatch they didn't see anything, but the shots sounded like a semi-automatic rapid fire. Second caller also claimed to hear 8 to 10 rapid fire shots. While searching for a possible shooter, an officer came upon a traffic accident. When the officer exited his vehicle to check on the driver or others involved in the accident, the driver just opened fire starting an exchange with the first officer and another officer that arrived shortly thereafter. During the uh, shootout, one of the officers was shot and sustained a gunshot injury to his leg. We don't know the motive. We don't understand why, the police said. The unidentified subject was shot and pronounced dead. Simply responding on a call. Checking on a traffic accident almost took the life of another police officer. Barricaded woman shoots Montana SWAT officer during 14-hour standoff. Billings, Montana SWAT officer was shot while trying to apprehend a, bar a barricaded woman during a 14-hour armed standoff. The incident began at 1.30 a.m. when Billings police received a report about a woman making threats on social media. Officers responded to her residence, but left after she refused to come out to speak to him. 
The nature of the threats was not immediately released, but shortly after 7 a.m., police received a report that the woman was shooting into other homes from her residence. When officers arrived back at the mobile home park, the woman barricaded herself inside the house and proceeded to post messages to Facebook about her willingness to die and how the police were allegedly out to get her. Neighbors said the woman had been served with an eviction notice days earlier. Uh, they said that she was generally a friendly person, but could be volatile. I guess that is an understatement. Uh, police quickly evacuated nearby residences. Uh, SWAT officers were trying to deliver a throw phone. Throw phone is a portable phone that when you're trying to make communications with someone, you actually throw the phone into the, into the residence. Um, but she began shooting at them. One of the officers was hit. Uh, they are expected to make a complete um, uh, recovery. The uh, woman was eventually taken into custody after 14 hours. Also, all this is all within several days. Detective shot in Ballard, that is in right outside of Seattle, while serving eviction notice. Resident found dead. Detective with the King County Sheriff's Office was shot Monday while serving an eviction notice in Ballard. Three detectives from the King County Sheriff's Office were serving an eviction notice at an apartment when gunfire was exchanged in the 800 block of 54th Avenue. At some point, two deputies either opened or returned fire. The deputy who was wounded did not open fire. Uh, the uh, deputy has been with uh, King County Sheriff's for 25 years, was shot in the upper torso. Eventually, they found the suspect dead of a uh, gunshot wound. So we have three police officers shot in just days. Two more died in the line of duty. Um, this is the reality check moment when I uh, tell you of these, of these incidents so that you have a complete understanding of the dangers, the physical dangers that are facing law enforcement officers. Of course, we're going to talk about some other dangers with my new guest. You've seen him on this show before. He is a, a fascinating man. I'm going to read you his bio from his book. He has a phenomenal book out. His name is Giovanni Rocco. Giovanni was the FBI undercover at the epicenter of several federal undercover operations. His most recent assignment in Operation Charlie Horse ultimately brought down several high-ranking members and associates of the infamous New Jersey de Cavalcanti Mafia family, the organization known as the Real Sopranos. Giovanni's successes have been covered in dozens of newspapers, television, and social media channels throughout the world. And he is, uh, it is now told in the critically acclaimed book, Giovanni's Ring, My Life Inside the Real Sopranos. Um, Giovanni's Ring is not just simply a chronicle of his heart-stopping adventures in the murky and dangerous criminal underworld he inhabited, but also a fascinating window into the psychological and physiological struggles that such a life inevitably entails. 
The culmination of Operation Charlie Horse and many other operations resulted in successful criminal prosecutions, but ultimately resulted in Giovanni's sudden and unplanned retirement from law enforcement, as well as the government having to relocate him and his family to an undisclosed location for fears of criminal retaliation. Having received extensive training in these agencies, as well as through his participation as a member of the FBI National Covert Operations Unit, Giovanni's survival depended on his ability to access the resiliency skills and focused thinking he now brings to his workshops, training modules, and mental and behavioral health programs that he helps design. Giovanni continues to share his experiences and provide training to law enforcement agencies as well as military and intelligence branches within the United States and internationally. Welcome to the show, Giovanni Rocco. Hey, Randy. Thanks for having me again. Good to see you, brother. It's good to see you, too. You know, you're, you have a very, very unique um, life. <laughs> That's the only way I can put it. You have, you have seen so many facets of law enforcement in your decades that you served behind a badge. But most of it was in capacities that most officers will never have that opportunity to uh, to fulfill. And that's in as in undercover in an undercover capacity. But you come from a law enforcement family, and your struggles, your personal um, traumas have been significant. And you are heavily involved in not just training police officers around the country, talking about your book. Uh, I mean, your, tra your travel schedule is crazy. But also, you have helped so many officers dealing with post-traumatic stress and also dealing with addiction. So we're going to get into all of this um, during the, this next uh, forty minutes or so that that you are um, that you're on the show. So welcome to the uh, new and improved show, which is the Wounded Blue Hour, where we talk about everything involving the physical, emotional, and uh, psychological health and wellness of our law enforcement officers, of which, of course, you have you are an integral part. If you would, just briefly talk about your law enforcement career and how it led to your current life. Sure. First and foremost, Randy, I want to thank you for acknowledging those officers um, that were injured and suffered in the line of duty. Um, you truly are the voice of law enforcement across the nation, Randy, and your passion, I mean, it just oozes out and it's infectious to all of us as well. So thank you for that. Um, and thank you for doing all the work that you do. I'm proud to know you and I'm proud to work with you and the Wounded Blue. Uh, I think it's a few years now our relationship and our friendship has gone on and our mission continues together. So I am honored to be with you. Um, thank you. I am third generation law enforcement. And uh, I guess my trauma started as a little kid. I understand this aspect of this job, and that's the biggest thing I speak to. I speak for the officers. I speak for their, their spouses because I am the spouse of a, a retired law enforcement officer. My wife was on the job as well. Uh, I speak as a grandson, as a son, uh, as a brother. Uh, every aspect of this job, I have lived, breathed, and experienced, a good, bad, and the ugly. 
Um, and, and the most unfortunate is the, the loss of my brother who served as a corrections officer and took his own life recently in the last couple of years. So every aspect of this job I can speak to. And that is not a badge of honor I wear, but it's a way for me to share my experiences and a way for me to heal as well. Because again, you know as well as I do, doing what we do now and continuing a mission to be there and support our guys and girls, our brothers and sisters, it's, it's just better for us and our mental health. So uh, yeah, it's, it's third generation. I started out really young. I mean, I, um, I watched my grandfather and my father come home from the job and all the trauma that they saw. They were both aggressive cops. They were well-decorated cops. My father was a, a homicide detective um, early on, so he brought a lot of that trauma home. I saw the addiction side of it. I saw the, the brotherhood early on when I was in the 70s and the 80s growing up as a, a cop's kid. I saw these guys and just it, it, emotional train wrecks that they were back then because we didn't have the, the, the components in the system that we have for mental health and substance abuse. Uh, nobody ever said, you know, I had a, if you did have a drinking problem, you went away for 30 days, you went away to the quote unquote the farm you came back you were supposed to be healed and ready for duty and uh, you were good to go as far as mental health you know randy you know don't talk about anything related to this job don't talk about the dark side of it don't share your experiences if you're feeling sad that's what we were taught early on um, you just suck it up buttercup right that's what we were taught and you, you know, um a lot of times that you know unless you have fought for your life and I have on several different occasions fought for my life. I've had individuals try to take mine as well as you have. Uh, and I know your personal story too, Randy. So in that moment, you bring a lot of that stuff home to your family and we just stuff it down. We compartmentalize it and we just don't know how to deal with it. And I was taught to just go out, be aggressive, go out and have a couple of drinks, drink it off. That's what you do. You go out to a PBA or an FOP meeting or a union meeting, you get with your buddies and that's how you deal with it right? Or you just bring it home to your family. Um, I learned early on in my career, uh, it cost me a marriage early in my life in my 20s that, uh, you know, listen, I didn't deal with things the way I do today. I don't process them. And when I sit here and discuss these things with you today, I am no means this is like a, um, it's like managing a terminal disease, dealing with PTSD and dealing with trauma, it's never really going to be gone. It's just the way you manage it. So that's what we're doing today, and, and hopefully we'll, we go around and we help these guys and girls you know, let, deal let with me, that. Let, let me stop you there, because that point that you just made is critical, and I want to emphasize it for the, for the listeners and those uh, uh, who are in the law enforcement community. That little nugget you just came out with is something to remember, um, that it never goes away. The darkness never forever lifts its ugly head but we can manage the, the we can manage the trauma so let's go let's just if you would d delve into that point just a little more with a little more emphasis sure without not with with the hopes of not triggering anybody i'll share a story that could pretty much sum it up one of the worst things i ever had i was nine months on the job i was a uniform cop um i was a patrolman and I responded to an active fire. Two young children were in the fire. Mom was a drug addict. Uh, she didn't pay the bills, so she had candles burning. She went downstairs, um, you know, got high, did what she did, and left the children upstairs. The children suffered critical burns, um, and they were still alive when he came out. One of the children, nine-month-old baby, was dumped in my arms, and you know, I'm gonna bear. You know, I'm not gonna go into horrific details, but you can only imagine. So years after this incident went by. 
And every time I was triggered by something, I didn't understand. And as a, as a police officer, as a detective, as a narcotics officer, as I, as I rose through the ranks, I held this baby and this trauma with me for years and years and years. And I always blamed it on somebody else. I would go to a barbecue with my family and I would become irate. And I had a couple of drinks and I, I'd say, you know what? I don't want to go to these barbecues because civilians don't understand me, right? I'm a police officer. I want to be around my own. That's what I was taught. So right. for years and years and years, I would say, ah, I would get irate. I'd look to pick a fight. I'd have a couple of drinks in me. I'd get nasty and I'd start arguing with family members. It wasn't until I became an FBI undercover and I had to go for mental health checks every six to nine months that I understood because a therapist helped me understand that trauma that I was dealing with and that, that, that repeated PTSD that would just resurface itself. It's triggers, right? We know smells and whatnot. It could be sights, sounds. Anything can trigger us. But he helped me understand and reframe this. And he said to me, you know, Giovanni, why do you think you go to these barbecues and you become irate and you want to pick a fight with somebody? I said, I just told you. I didn't want to be with my girlfriend, my fiance, whoever it was. And I didn't like people around me. I, I figured it out. I diagnosed myself. He says, no, no, let's talk about the baby and let's talk about that trauma you have. And he helped me understand. It was the smells of the barbecue that was right. a trigger for me. It yeah. was the smell of the burning meat, not to be graphic, but if it was high content fat in a burger, that was triggering to me. Sure. So I, my emotional armor would automatically go up. I'd shut down emotionally and I'd want to get out of there as fast as I could. I'd break out in a clammy sweat. I looked to pick a fight because I have to prove my machismo. I'd become hypervigilant. So those things are what you deal with. He helped me understand, Giovanni, you didn't cause this child to lose his life. The mother did, right? But if you reframe something, you reframe trauma that we talk about that a lot in addiction. If you reframe it and you say that you are the one that holds this baby's memory in your, in your mind and in your heart, and the baby lives on, the mother's probably long dead, maybe died of addiction and, and helped me process it that way. So now I don't have triggers where it's a, an instant trigger when I see a traumatic thing on TV because TVs nowadays could be, you know, the way the graphics are on TV, everything can be trauma, traumatizing and triggering to a first responder. So yeah, for me, for sure. that's how I carry it. I, I honor the child and I reframe it to say, you know what? That baby's memory lives on because I choose to carry her. I choose to carry her memory just as we do in, the, in our blue line or our blue family, right? Never, never gone, never forgotten. I do that with this child. And I do that, you know, we didn't cause these people to die. You know, um, it's just things that we have to deal with in our career along the way. And we have to figure out ways to reframe and repurpose the trauma. And well, that's you, how you mitigate it. So, you know, it's funny, when I, when I hear you say this, it literally does trigger a, a memory for me of one of the few times where I actually suffered a legitimate flashback. Um, I went to a movie. Do you remember the movie? It was called uh, Back, was it called Black, Backflash? Backdraft. Backdraft. Thank you. Backdraft. <laughs> and... Uh, I was in the movie with, with, with my date, and there was a scene in there where the officer got caught in the back in the backdraft. Well, that actually, in fact, happened to me in, in, a, in a real fire, and I almost mm -hmm. lost my life. And this has never happened before. It's never happened since. But I actually re-experienced that trauma, and I had to literally flee from that from that theater um mm -hmm. it was one of the most vivid memories that i have 
and and you're right. I mean, this is it is as real as real could be in that moment. And so, learning to deal with those traumas is absolutely essential if we're going to carry forward and and uh, and and live a healthy life. I agree, and I think that a lot of officers will say, "Well, you know, this is my job. This is what I do. This is who I am." And I'm not. I'm I'm mentally tough and I'm physically tough. But if you don't admit that you're affected by these things and these triggers and and the, some of the things we experienced on a job, if you don't openly admit that it bothers you, I think to some component, you might be sociopathic, you know? And uh, you really have to look at yourself and say, well, why? Why is it not bothering? Why am I so callous? Yeah, I was in a shooting and it wasn't my fault that I had to you know, shoot somebody or defend myself or I was defending others. But there should be a, a, a component of trauma afterwards. When you get home, the adrenaline dump, Right. And a lot of that I experienced as an undercover. When I infiltrated these organizations around the world, there were some pretty violent dudes that I was in undercover wise. Um, and my life was in jeopardy at times. And I got home and and I would get home and very much like a, a patrolman. You know, I'd get home and I'd reflect on my day's work and I'd say, oh, my God, why did I put myself in that situation? What am I crazy? I mean, what? how could I have gotten <laughs> out of that? Right. That's an adrenaline. Right. Dump. And yes. You feel you can't go to sleep and you feel your heart's racing and your mind is not shutting off, that's normal, that's okay, right? But it's what we do to mitigate that. And it's breathing techniques, things that I learned along the way that the Bureau didn't teach me. They might've taught me how to be a good undercover. And I was doing all my undercover work early in my career. I was doing it all the wrong way. I did it as a street kid from New Jersey that grew up in the streets and I thought I knew the streets. Wait, I I'm going to have to hold you there because we have to take a quick break, a hard break, yeah. and we'll get right back to this. I want to talk about adrenaline and what a powerful, powerful substance it is. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have to tell you that I think one of the biggest advances in nutraceuticals and supplements is healthy cell. And the healthy cell line is extensive. I typically focus on the microgel technology, three major products here, Immune Super Boost, the Focus and Recall, and then the REM sleep supplement. Each one of these is complementary, and they can uh, have a role, I think, in the health of your life each and every day. I know they do in my case. Many of you know, after COVID-19 twice, I spent almost the entire year in 2022 with the upper respiratory tract illness. Now, thankfully, I'm through the first two months of 2023, and I've been diligent with the Immune Super Boost in the morning, followed by focus and energy, and then in the evening time, the REM sleep supplement. The microgel technology works, and boy, does it work fast. So go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, find the banner bar for Healthy Cell, click on it, and that'll take you to the site to get a discount on your purchase of all Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. 
Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. So I want, I want to talk about a product before we continue with the uh, with this fascinating story that, that we're uh, that we're hearing from Giovanni Rocco um, you know everything on this on this program is designed to be part of a, uh, a larger program of health and fitness and wellness for law enforcement officers and, and officer safety is paramount here uh, at the wounded blue hour and I want to tell you about a product that I utilize and I have found incredible and it's called officerprivacy.com. What is, what is officerprivacy.com? I came to find out, and I think Giovanni will, will bear me out on this, we might be able to have this discussion. Um, you can easily be found on the internet. I, it is incredible to me how much information is out there about me and about you that can lead to a dangerous situation because, um, OfficerPrivacy.com, which was founded by a retired police officer in California, um, di discovered that th these searches that are out there can lead people to finding your home and your assets. So you want to get that off the internet and OfficerPrivacy.com, which is staffed only by current and former law enforcement officers. That's the only people that Pete James trusts to get this job done. He showed me, I was shocked, there were more than 37 references on the internet to my home address. Well, that's a pretty scary thing. Well, there isn't any more. And that's what officerprivacy.com. So I'm, I'm telling you as a, as a customer and as a, a, a someone who is really, really committed to doing everything I can for officer safety purposes, go to officer 
privacy.com. It's not expensive. Uh, they can they can wash the internet of you, and that's what you want for you, for your family. If you're a cop now or have been a cop, go to officerprivacy.com. So, Giovanni, you understand how important uh, something like officerprivacy.com is, don't you? I do. Yeah, Randy. Not to go down a rabbit hole and get off topic, but yeah, it's, it's extremely important. For me, years of my career, decades of my career, the Bureau and, and government agencies had to do what we call scrubbing us, right? They had to scrub my information. And I had, don't forget, I had, I think I shared with you already, I had four different identities, four different social security numbers, four different dates of birth, including my true, right? So five. Um, so yeah, that, it's important to scrub because if somebody found me on the internet, it was an easy way for them to lo locate them. Now, when I worked in foreign counterintelligence, you would not believe how easy it is to find somebody on the internet. It's simple. I could find you in a split second. But, you know, thank God that there's services like this that you're talking about here that can go one extra level to, to protect the officers because, you know, there's yeah. a lot of bad people. We deal with them every day and they want retaliation. They want to de de degrade us, defame us, you know, ruin our names, ruin our reputations, affect our families and just threaten us in any way they can. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I want to I want to go back to where we, we were talking about the in, incredible uh, effect of adrenaline on law enforcement officers. You know, I don't even think that there have been exhaustive studies done yet, but we do know this, that it has a dramatic effect on long term uh, health issues involving law enforcement officers. Can you uh, touch on that for a moment, please? Sure. Um, for me, it was uh, the importance of it is, you know, when I was a young cop, I thought you gave me a badge and a gun. I had all this authority. I could keep a I can keep a bar open as long as I wanted to back in the day. You know, <laughs> bars didn't close for us. We kept them open. We came. We got I lived in the New York City area, New Jersey, northeast, where it was mugs and eggs in the morning. Um, but for me, it wasn't so much the drinking that was my addiction. My addiction was adrenaline. If you put me in a situation, if you needed somebody to go against Russian or or any kind of Colombian organizations or Mexican cartels, and if it was life threatening, I wanted in because that was my my addiction was the adrenaline, right? Like when a narcotics cop, my old man said to me, my father used to say to me, "Listen, I'm, you know, you should aspire to be a, a, a detective, a suit, what we call a suit, right? Is a homicide detective, a major case investigator. I wanted to be a narc." Like I wanted to be Serpico. I wanted to be the guy with the big long beard and the hair, and that's what I was early in my career, because that was the adrenaline side. I just I I craved it every day. Anytime I can go into a room and I put myself in a, in the craziest situations in my career all throughout, from the day I began to the day I left. Uh, my wires didn't work half the time. My recorders were about the size of a VHS tape. You know, back right. in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and just the thrill of being exposed, right? Or you know, what happens if? Uh, my, half the time, my equipment didn't work early in my career. Guys would say to me, well, what do you want to do in case you crap out if you're, you're, you're transmitter? We didn't have recording devices so much as transmitters back in the day. Yeah, listen, if you lose my signal, I'll just throw a brick or I'll throw something through the window that's in the house. And, you know, you guys come in, guns are blazing, and come get me. So it was that addiction to that type of adrenaline I, I craved. Um, and the, the adrenaline dump is real. Everybody listening to this show right now knows what we're talking about. They might not identify it, but now that they're hearing us talk about it, hopefully they understand they're not broken, right? They're just, they're just a little bit damaged because they don't know how to treat the wound, 
right? The mental wound. I could physically see if I cut my hand, I could physically see the wound and I know I either need a bandaid or I need stitches. But when it's mental or emotional, we don't know how to treat that because we're not used to it. Um, and the adrenaline can be an, a wound when you get home. And when you do, you have to do certain things. You have to decompress. You have to talk to somebody. That's peer-to-peer. Now, what we know peer-to-peer to be today. If it's a buddy who's a psychologist, I do. I have one. Dr. Tom is my guy. If I have an issue and I'm having a bad day, he might call me up. I might call him up just to touch base. Randy, it's me and you. You and I will just blow off some steam. Find somebody that you can relate to that you can talk to and just get it off your chest. Let's, let's, really, let's really delve into this because this is about peer support, which, of course, is the core mission of the Wounded Blue. You know, we are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled officers. And those injuries are as often emotional and psychological as they are physical. And very often they're, they're combined or they're both of them that are, that are combined, which of course exacerbates both of them. But, but the peer to peer that you that you talk about, this is probably one of the most important aspects is of definitely of what the wounded blue does, but also of an understanding for our law enforcement community out there that you don't have to be, you don't have to be embarrassed to reach out and say, you know what, I need to figure some stuff out here because it is only by having the ability to talk to people who have also experienced it that you realize that you're not alone. Correct. Yeah. And we go that extra mile tactically, right? To your point. Tactically, if a new vest came out or a new product came out there, a new shield that came out, I'm going to have that in my car, right? I'm going to put that in my patrol car. I'm going to have it on my team. I'm going to have it readily available to me because it's part of my job. My baton, my, my, my clip, whatever I carry, my holster, you know, gun retention holster, all these things that we have today. But we don't go the extra mile to do the mental health side for each other and truly, truly have each other's back. Because I got your six at all times, right? And you have my six at all times. But when it comes to the emotional side, and now I start leaning on you and it's, hey, Randy, you know, I got some problems at home. And, you know, my wife is cheating on me. I'm cheating on her. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, whoa, that's too heavy for me, you know? And then you go into the station house and it becomes, yeah, you know, G's got some problems. Stay away from her right now. You know, you start to, you start to distance yourself. Whereas we need to embrace each other and say, listen, this is only, it's a bump in the road, right? It's just as it, like I said, it's just as if you twisted your ankle, you got to heal yourself up and get back to duty and get back to what's right. We pick each other up. We're constantly there for each other. If I see or if you see in me that there's a change in my irritability or there's a change in my attitude on a job, I'm callous to people in the street, then I'm off a little bit. And, you know, you, sh- I, you should be able to say, hey, gee, I see lately what's going on. Ah, there's some things at home. Well, you know. Maybe you should get right, or maybe you want to talk to somebody, and just just put that in our ear. And sometimes guys and girls they'll they'll reach out to a peer team, or the peer team might look at us and say like, "Hey, G, I see that you know you're acting a little irritable. I see that you're you might be drinking a little too much. Your guys and girls, your complaints, your demeanor complaints have risen. You know your your use of force complaints in the street are increased. That's there's a purpose and a reason for that. So you know the peer to peer might pull you in. They're not there to hurt you. Everybody thinks IA is always there to hurt us. They're not always there to hear. It's checks and balances. And the peer team is just something that we rely on where we don't have to wait to be investigated by IA. The peer team should be able to be there and take care of us. You know, I want to talk about addiction because we we have seen 
the 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 dramatic fall of so many great cops um, who have literally destroyed their lives through addictions and and I know that you are deeply involved in the addiction world and I really want to I, I, I really want to take some of the shroud of mystery away from this and talk about how how addiction can affect and is affecting thousands of police officers across this United States and and let them know that there is there is help and there is there is um, there is a methodology for recovering from addiction there absolutely is there's a, you know there's a method to it there's a whole menu to it where you know you might be it might be an injury you had on the job who knows what caused this addiction you might be suffering as we speak somebody listening to the show or watching the show right now might be suffering and they don't realize what they're going through until you hold that mirror up nobody it's hard to look at the mirror right sometimes but when you do and you start to say you know what i'm not the guy that was the applicant for the job I'm not that guy anymore. And yes, this job does changes. It makes us a little bit callous at times, just like working out and doing construction work. You might get some calluses on your hand, but over time, when you start to change and you're feeling the pressures of the job, you're going home and you're distancing yourself from your family. You're mistreating the ones you love. You're alienating yourself from the family component. There's a reason for that. There might be underlying trauma. It could just be that you don't know how to deal with it. Um, yeah, and you start to lean on chemical dependencies. You might lean on pills to sleep because like we talked about, if something triggers me and I go home, I might take some cough medicine. I might take an over-the-counter medicine. Everybody thinks addiction is like a hard drug or alcohol. That's not always the case. Sometimes it begins with over-the-counter medicine, a sleeping pill here, or you know, I need to stay awake because I got a double shift. You know, I grabbed an overtime shift. I got to do a double. So they might take a pill to keep themselves awake, like a, a you know, a fentermine pill or something over the counter that keeps them caffeinated. Um, that's the beginning. It can start right there. That can be a gateway to addiction. So it's that irritability. It's the feeling of, of sadness when you get home, the feeling of guilt when you're laying in bed at night. And it starts to just, you start to feel like it's piling on. And uh, yeah, one drink turns into four, four turns into six. If you're drinking, um, you start to drink alone. I have a lot of guys that I deal with when they do come to us for help and they say, yeah, listen, gee, I, I just, I'm not here for, for a drinking problem. I, I have mental health. I'm burnt out. Yeah, well, you're burnt out, but there might be a dual diagnosis to it. It's okay to be mentally burned out with this job, but it's also okay that you develop the habit of some sort. Again, my addiction was the adrenaline. I have to be very careful of what my, I put myself into. I have to know my boundaries. So you, you know, you might be dual diagnosed. You might have a little bit of mental health burnout and you could have a little bit of addiction problem where you, you know, you might have to go. Doesn't always mean you're going away for 30 or 45 days to a treatment center. It could just be outpatient. It could just be speaking to somebody on a regular basis, seeing a therapist. So, uh, and dealing with it. Other times we let it get too, too out of control and we need to be detoxed. And you have to go through maybe a five to 10 day detox where you're in an inpatient facility. It's not the end of the world. This is an investment in yourself. We have to be willing to invest in ourselves because when we invest in ourselves, we're also investing in our family, right? All right, I wanna, let, let's, yeah. I, I was, I was uh, very uh, pleased to have been uh, given the opportunity to come to a facility in Florida where uh, where you um, you help to get um, 
police officers, both active and inactive, into treatment for addiction. Um, and uh, by by all means, you know, we can talk about that. I was I was really pleasantly surprised. You know, I you you conjure up all kinds of images about being in an institution, you know, of going away for 30 days. Um, it's very intimidating. And so, and, and I know that there is a massive variety of, uh, of treatment centers. So if you would talk about, about your treatment center that, that you're aligned with and why that is, I mean, I know that it impressed the hell out of me. If I, if I had an issue like that, um, that would probably be the place I would choose. But I know that there's there's a ton of different places. How do you make a determination what is best for you? Well, you, you hit the nail right in the head, Randy. Um, and the, the facility you're referring to is Lakeview Health. That's who I'm associated with. Lakeview Health is located in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, it's a partial hospitalization, PHP. It's residential. It's outpatient. And uh, they have a great aftercare program that after guys and girls have to do residential type treatment, they might come to us for 30 or 45 days, and then we follow them afterwards. But it is important. Um, you have to be comfortable with the facility you pick. Uh, and I was very, very cautious on what facility I, I aligned myself with and my reputation with, because it's important. I have to make sure guys and girls aren't getting, sometimes there's programs that are first responder only where it's only guys and girls that are first responders in the groups. And that's a good thing when it comes to trauma, but sometimes when you go to a facility, you can build empathy. Uh, and that's what Lakeview focuses on. We have what's called a professional's track. So it's working professionals, whether it's professional athletes we have contracts with, we have contracts with different labor unions or airline workers, or, you know, those are working professionals. And a common denominator there is everybody's there to get better, to get healthy, to be found fit for their job and fit for duty. Our guys and girls, first responders, they fit perfectly into that. They, they go into the professionals program. Um, they might be in a group setting, right? It looks like you know a regular group, but what we do differently at Lakeview is we're gender specific. Guy, and you saw that when you were there, Randy. Guys, guys are in one facility, girls are in the other, same property, but they're just in two different buildings. They don't really co-mingle because um, there are a lot of sometimes there could be sexual, you know, sexual trauma, underlying sexual trauma that they don't deal with the root cause of what caused their addiction. So it's a better chance for them to open up a lot of veterans. We have the veterans program now because we have the contract with the VA. So um, we'll get some of those guys and girls in there as well. And they might go to group for a few hours a day. It's work, right? You're, you get sent back to your, your, your room every night with homework. And, you know, you might do some group therapy in the, during the day. Then you break out. And it's very much like training. Then you do your individual sessions with your therapist. And what I talked about before, if something's triggering to you, we might introduce a little bit of EMDR. If your listeners are familiar with that, it's trauma therapy, rapid resolution type therapy, where it's, um, it's not a quick fix, but it's great for trauma. We introduced all these modalities. Recently, we did brain mapping because first responders, we're very, um, we're, we have to, we're very focused on what we see, right? We can be evidence-based, but I like to put my eyes on something to know it's, it's not BS. So brain mapping is a little different where they, they put the, uh, the, the electrodes on your head. They might do a little brain map and that you'll see different colors. You'll see, you can actually see the trauma in the frontal lobe of your brain and it'll be in colors. It might be a high yellow color 
And then after a few sessions, they'll go back after a week or maybe 10 days of, of sessions, you go back and you'll see that the colors have changed. They don't manipulate the colors. It's your actual brain map and an actual scan of your brain. You'll see that dealing with the issues that are bothering you, the underlying trauma or whatever is causing your addiction, it's working. And that's where the guys and girls really start to invest that are first responders and even a working professional do too. So, um, but yeah, so, it's a great program. I, I, um, you know, I, I really want to emphasize to the listeners and the viewers that addiction doesn't mean that you're enveloped by darkness, that, that understanding that addiction can be treated can lead you out of that darkness and, and accept that this is another aspect of treatment and another aspect of personal growth when it comes down to uh, developing you know, uh, yourself as a human being as well. I think that plays a, a major role in it, don't you? I think so. I mean, we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our family members as well. Um, yes, first and foremost, we treat ourselves because it's the best thing for our own personal health, but it's also to help heal our family, right? Because our family, by being married to us, there's that transference of trauma we always talk about in our group. So we might talk about the family component. We introduce the family into the, the healing and the recovery the, the day of. I mean, we are in touch with the family as much as they want to be involved in the individual's recovery, but we encourage it a lot. We do family sessions a couple times a week. So they're healing as well. And they're understanding what the individual is going through because there, there is that component where I, as a first responder, police officers, especially, you know, Murphy's law, Randy, I can go to 30, oh. 45 days. I, I can deal with that trauma that I've had walk. I've been walking around for 10 years with it. I go to my sessions. I get, I get straight after 30, 45 days. Your typical person that deals with addiction, they have the same underlying trauma, but when they go to recovery, they find out what caused it and they deal with it. Maybe sexual trauma as a child, maybe something they had with us. It's different, but we have to prepare for the trauma that's going to come our way again. There's a wave coming because when we're found fit for duty, we go back and you know that first night we go back and I grab a midnight shift, that's when something's gonna break out. A critical incident's gonna happen and it's gonna test everything I just went through for 30 to 45 days. So you have to invest in yourself and be ready for that. But I promise you the techniques and the skills that we give you, I incorporate a little bit of what I learned as an undercover. Um, I stress a lot and I try to help Lakeview understand the importance of with first responders focusing on de-escalation and conflict resolution. Not just what the AG's office says that we should have, but going above and beyond. Like I did in my undercover career. I was able to infiltrate the organizations I did because not just the training that the FBI gave me. Breath work is extremely important. Understanding my heart rate variability. I didn't know what these things were. I didn't go to medical school. I became a cop when I was 21. But now that I understand these things and I understand the vagus nerve and how my body reacts to stress and trauma, I can go back to being a first responder and deal with things even as simple as a domestic dispute. I can walk into a call and just be so emotionally regulated that it is, it, I swear, it becomes a superpower. Don't, don't you wish you had the knowledge then that you have now? Oh, <laughs> I wish. But I'm happy I have it now because I could share it now. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I wish I, but again, as a young undercover, I just threw stuff against the wall and saw what sticks. Now, yeah. when, I when I learned all of these superpowers, and I always say in my presentations, like, 
I'm not, I don't consider myself the bat belt, right? We have a bat belt. We have all these tools. I can take my gun. I can take my handcuffs. I can take my baton. But what about my emotional intelligence? That's the most effective tool we have. Our communication, but our emotional intelligence. If I could control myself and bring you down to my level and understand my heart rate and slow it down to such a, a pace that I become a snail in my breathing, the way I speak, I speak slowly. It's infectious to the victim. It's infectious to the person I'm dealing with in the street, hostage negotiation, you know, any critical incident, um, questioning somebody, interrogation. If I maintain my emotions at such a level where I would sit with targets and they would think I was having just, you know, I, I would just veg out. And because I slowed my speech down so slow and my heart rate so slow that they would be like chomping at every word I said. And I would say to them, listen, I'm going so slow because this is mine and yours. You know, it's our responsibility to commit these crimes together, you know, but I want you to understand every word I'm saying. So. Isn't, that, isn't that. that amazing? You're, you're, you're literally in a life and death situation where any word can lead to your discovery, which can lead to fatal consequences, and you've calmed yourself down um, as, as, a, as a method of, of, uh, of being effective and also of, uh, you know, having, having to, to preserve yourself. Sure. Let, let's put it in the aspect of um, the perspective of social discourse and what it is today, right? And, and any patrolman shows up in a uniform, half the crowd hates you just because you're authority and right. you represent everything that is authority, right? But if I can control this and I can keep my emotions in check and I can keep my communication and my emotional armor in check, then it's a game changer. You're not going to bait me. You're not going to get me on camera be doing something I shouldn't be doing. You're not going to get me to be emotionally charged where I, I lash out at you. I'm not going to approach it. I'm just going to take my time. I say it all the time with events. Like if there's a barricaded suspect, last time I checked, most first responders get paid by the hour. And I like overtime. So you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to take my time. I'm just going to take my time and I'm going to do this by the book as slow as I can for the safety of the person inside the house for any victims you might have, and for the officers outside. Right, so I want to talk about, we're, we're coming, unfortunately, this, this hour has literally flown by. But I want to talk about the Wounded Blue, and also um, not just the Wounded Blue itself, but the upcoming National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. Now, you've been a part of the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit that the Wounded Blue has put on. This will be the third year in a row. And this is every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career, physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically, families, relationships. There's no, you've been a police trainer for a lot of years. If you would, we want to encourage anyone who is watching this that is involved in the law enforcement community to get off their butt and, and make a re reservation for this incredible training conference. It's going to be September 26th to the 29th in Las Vegas at the incredible Ahern Hotel. But in, just give them your perspective of this incredible training opportunity. I'm honored to be a part of it, right? Um, when I met you, I think it was the first year, right, that we were, we, you were putting it on. And every year it happens, I learn a little bit more about myself even. Um, I get to share, share the stage with amazing people such as yourself and the speakers that you have. It's just a powerhouse. It's, um, it's just everything you need to know 
from every aspect of this job, whether it's emotional, whether it's family, whether it's a, your physical strengths, whether it's your spiritual. I mean, everything is covered in this summit and you've planned it perfectly where the speakers cover every aspect of this job, everything that teaches you how to survive this job. Um, and again, my job, my presentation I did is called uh, Surviving the Job, I think, is the one I did last year. And I introduced the family component. And that's what I mean by everything I learn, even at the Wounded Blue Summit, I learn a little bit more each time and a little bit more I need to share. So uh, yeah, and it's building bridges and it's building a bigger team. I think every time you hold a summit and host a summit, the peer team grows exponentially, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, you know, it sure does. And so, so, so if you're law enforcement or you know a law enforcement officer, let have them go to, or you go to the, the website, thewoundedblue.org. Go to thewoundedblue.org, follow the prompts to the Survival Summit. It is not expensive. It's $295 a month. I'm sorry, a month. $295 for the four days. Plus, we, all, we also have a little bit of fun at this as well, do we not? We do, yes. <laughs> Which is important. Which is, is important is. because you're building relationships, right? And it's, it's a grow. I look at it as a family reunion now. It truly yeah, is. Right. Each, each year that happens, another family member we discover, and it is, right? We have to, it's not just all doom and gloom. There's nothing like that. It's, it's effective tools and effective things that we learn along the way. And we have to have a little bit of fun because that's who we are. Amen to that. So how can, um, how can your uh, people, uh, we didn't even talk about your book. It is an amazing book, Giovanni's Ring. How can our viewers and our listeners find the book and find you? Thanks, Randy. I mean, they find it on typical Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Uh, it's on Audible in case you're not a big reader. It is a fast read. I wrote it to be a quick read, uh, not just because the Bureau cut a bunch of pages out of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> That's a whole other story. Uh, it's a whole other story for another episode. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you can go to my website, GiovanniesRing.com, and you can order a book and I'll personalize it and get it mailed out to you as well. And uh, Lakeview Health, you know, um, I'm involved with that. Please, I, I encourage you to look at lakeviewhealth.com and see that, you know, if you are struggling or if your family member is struggling, please reach out as well. And we're there to help. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me again here um, at the uh, Wounded Blue Hour. Uh, your, your perspective is fascinating. Uh, your dedication to the law enforcement community has been unwavering for decades. And uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time, Giovanni. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Randy. You are my inspiration, brother. Thank you for having me. Well, we have come to the end of another show. I, I know that it went very, very quickly. Please go to thewoundedblue.org. Find out who we are. Find out what we do. If you need our help, reach out. We are a national volunteer organization that helps injured and disabled officers. These officers need your help. If you can give, please hit that donate button. Give what you can. The community needs you and our country needs the law enforcement community. This is Randy Sutton. Thank you for joining me again here at this amazing station uh, and, uh, and this, this fantastic show. This is the Wounded Blue Hour. We'll see you again next week.